Bertuccio. Welcome to the Sarah and Patty podcast. Hello, this is producer Alan, and this is the Sarah and Patty podcast. In this edition, we ran an LTGO snap poll and we looked at solar energy and is it worth the cost? Tell us what you think now at the TGO Facebook page. Jimmy Barnes has a new book out, and the guys spoke with him. And university degrees, are they really worth the cost? Sarah and Patty's snap poll. We've had snap poll this morning. Solar power. Is it worth it? And we have got Steel Juliana from Sun Air Solar. Hello, Steel. Good morning, Patty. How are you going? Yeah, really well, mate. From your perspective, because I was talking to a mate the other day, and he showed me his electricity bill. He had solar panels on, I don't know whether it was early this year or last year, his electricity bill was down to $1 a day. Mate, do they all work out that way? Not everyone will have the same result. It's, uh, it's really a matter of you using the power. Um, that which is key these days. Back a few years ago when the government had the high rebate, it didn't really matter if you used the power because you got paid for it anyway. Yeah. Um, at the moment, if you're at home or even if you get home at you know, 4 or 5 in the afternoon, you can still utilise the power, which is, uh, which is key. Otherwise, you can store it in a battery to run in the evening. Right. And, and so, mate, is it on a rebate system or how does it work now? Uh, well, what happens is when you produce the power, you uh, you use that straight away, and then any excess will go back to the grid, and you will get paid a small amount for that. Um, it's not really a massive incentive. It's about 12 to 14 cents a kilowatt, what you export back in. Um, but as I say, if you can uh, dedicate it to a battery, then you'll be able to save the uh, the peak rate during the evening. And, mate, does it, matter, does it matter how many solar panels you have on your roof? Is, is the more... It does. It does? Yeah, so what we do when we do quotes for customers on the coast uh, is we'll go out to the site, no obligation, have a look. Um, I've got a few programs on the computer which I can actually position the panels on the roof and show the customer what it might look like and the, and the potential savings. Um, and we sit down, work out what we can do for them, which is best for them, rather than try and sell the biggest system and, uh, you know, where they're going to take too many years to pay back. Yeah, So and they will eventually, though, save money. That's right, yes. Most, most of our customers um, return their investment in about three years. Um, so if you think about it as an investment opportunity, you're not going to get 33% return anywhere else. So in that sense, it's good. And also the power prices are going up 12% in New South Wales every year. So it's only going to increase. All right, mate. Thank you very much for the insight. Uh, Steel from Sun Air Solar. Thanks, champ. No worries. Thanks, guys. Okay, Karen, do you have, on our Snap Poll this morning, we are looking at solar power. Was it worth the cost? Have you got solar power? No, we don't have it. But I have neighbours who do have it. And if you get it and pay it off and you move, you have to pay it out before you go. And if you have a big hailstorm, which we did, and it cracked up most of their panels, then they had to foot that bill as well. So it's quite expensive, I believe. Oh, right. So therefore... Those panels are your responsibility. Yes. Would you get it then? No. <laughs> I have my own panels to look after. <laughs> <laughs> that is... See, I didn't know that. Yeah. And when you Unless sa- it's changed, but yeah. I doubt it. All right. Well, then that's an interesting side as well. Thanks, Karen. You're welcome. Bye-bye. She's bye. Yeah, that's our snap poll this morning. It was about solar power, solar energy, is it worth the cost? On 2Joe's Facebook um, page, Grace said no. Pam said yes, worth it. Over the three months of winter, we saved $36 a month plus the rebates. Uh, Paul said absolutely worth it. 
And Lyndall said, very much so. Even now with reduced rebates, my power bill is currently in credit and benefits to the environment are priceless. And as I said, it was, I couldn't, I, this bloke mustn't use power more, mate, because it was a dollar a day. And it was, it was quite interesting. But if you want to have a chat, 432 This man. There today is the day. If you want to get the book bazaar at your minor, because the legend himself, Jimmy Barnes, is going to be there. Woo! And he's with us this morning. Jimmy Barnes, hello. Hey. G'day, Jimmy. How are you, guys? Yeah, How are you, well. How are you, mate? I'm fighting fit. Ridiculously well. Yeah, I, I saw you on the Today Show the other day. Oh, oh you're looking gorgeous. Gee, you've got muscles. <laughs> <laughs> you smooth talker. <laughs> Just say I've got muscles. I've been really working on that. <laughs> See, I noticed. I noticed. <laughs> Good on you. Thanks for that. Because <laughs> you're gearing up. You're gearing up for your book tour and your money. I'm, 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 I've got to get prepared. This is a big run. We've got a big book tour, and it goes right through to May next year. So um, I am. I'm healthy. Healthy the Mally Ball. Twice as smart and, uh, and ready, ready to rock. <laughs> oh, you know what? That sounds dangerous. Oh, that does. sounds positively <laughs> dangerous, Jimmy Barnes. I am, I am dangerous. Oh, be, be careful if you go to Book Bazaar at your minor today. You're going to be in trouble. <laughs> but, Jimmy, this is your second book. The sequel to Working Class Boy is yeah. Working Class Man, and it is out. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's a good thing. I mean, uh, when I dropped the Working Class Boy, you know, a, a year or two ago, a year, 18 months ago, it was, it was a big thing for me because it was like really bearing my soul. This is the, the stuff that I never spoke to people about. What I wanted to do with this book was uh, all the issues, all the, the fears and shame and violence that I spoke about in that first book. I wanted to show how that affected me as an adult. Now, people have seen a lot of how it affected me because I, I obviously did it in the public eye. But behind the scenes, there was, a, the, you know, there was a lot of stuff that really, you know, a lot of those issues helped me because it made me want to be, want to be liked and made me want to be wild and made me want to be, you know, you know, out of it and made me want to be crazy and aggressive. But it also nearly killed me. So there's a lot of stuff that people don't know about the effects of it's like a trauma, I guess, uh, and the effects it has on an adult. It made it really difficult for me to have, you know, to have these relationships, you know, like a family uh, relationship with myself. You know, I'm, I used to be out every night and I'd be, you know, play to 50,000 people and come home at the hotel room and then, and look at the mirror and just not like what I've seen. Yeah. You know? And eventually it took me to you know, almost to, to death. Jimmy, that we just joked about how healthy you are dangerously well. Uh, you'd mm -hmm. actually be healthier and fitter now than you were as a young man in that way. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm like, I'm literally, you know, I'm, I've never been healthier in my life. There's times you can, you can look at periods in my life where I look like Gollum. You know, I was just uh, drinking and taking so many drugs and just and not sleeping and hating myself and just, you know, trying to drink myself into the ground. And I didn't realize I was doing it. I was just sort of just think of just running on empty and just not, you know, not trying to look back and not trying to feel. Five years ago or so, I, I got to the point where I thought, well, I can't run from this anymore. I've got to turn and face it. I did literally end up hanging on, on the end of a rope in a hotel room. And I didn't die. And I, and, I, and, I, and I picked myself up and I thought, okay, get this together. And I had to look at myself and not get myself together thinking, okay, I can save everything. Everything's going to be great. I had to look at it and say, you've got to pick yourself up. And no matter what comes, you've got to deal with it. That's what made me stronger. Jimmy, do you believe 
writing this was therapeutic, the first one and the second one? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, and it's, I think it's uh, just opening the door, really. I mean, both of these books, you know, like with the first book, I, I remember when I wrote it, I, I felt the weight lifting off my shoulders. But then over the next six months talking about it and traveling, I learned more and more and more about myself. Some some stuff got harder to deal with, some stuff got easier, but it all seen air. And I think the issues of, of fear and shame and, and guilt and, and all those things are much better with light shine on them you know they're much better out in the public because you know when you lock them inside you they're the things that poison you they're the things that kill you they're the things that destroy your relationships they're the things that don't allow you to communicate with with anybody we know that there'd be a lot of fans that can identify with all of this this journey that you've been on but i'm reckoning that there are people outside the rock world outside the music world that would be looking in and thinking Here's a guy that I've heard of. I've heard his music around. I'm, I've never been really a fan, but man, I, I can really identify with this this thing that's happened to him and how it's all transpired over the years. I'll bet there's a lot of people who are inspired by this. Well, I hope so because you know, really, it's, it doesn't matter whether you're a rock singer, a DJ, or working in a factory or whatever. You know, you can be doing anything. We're all suffering. We're all in this. It's this human condition. It's trying to get through life, and you know, we're all trying to, you know. No, you know, get to, you know, learn how to love and how to feel. And it's, it's sometimes it's scary and sometimes, you know, it's difficult. Uh, but we've, we, we have to sort of learn to reach out and be, and be there for each other. You know, there's too many families, too many people suffering in this country. There's too much domestic violence, too much suicide, too much struggling. And, uh, you know, and, you know, we can't sit and wait for governments to come and fix us. We have to reach out to each other. Uh, you know, I really, I'm appalled at how the, the poverty still in this country. You know, when I was a kid, you know, struggling to, to find food, you know, being ashamed because of where we, the way we lived, and there's still families living like that today, and it's it's a horrible thing. And uh, and so we can't, we have to help each other. We have to reach out. If you see your mates, if you see, you know, your friends who are struggling, yeah. you know, the ones that drink yeah. themselves to oblivion every night, grab them aside and talk to them. Let them know that at least they've got someone there, because really, quite often you'll find that they're it's very lonely. I had the whole of the country looking at me, thinking of you know, liking me and telling me how good I was, but I couldn't see it. I needed, you know, I needed to sort of, I needed to talk to someone to get to get through it and the day that i did actually you know get professional help i remember thinking when i was you know heading that way thinking oh this is i'm just this is the weakest i'll ever be i can't do this on my own i'm so weak and when i first got help it was like a, a miracle i felt that's the first time that i felt like i actually felt courageous jimmy do you think fame led to a lot of the addiction Oh no no I think I think fame fame fueled it. I think these were you know I was born an alcoholic. You know my dad was an alcoholic, his dad was an alcoholic and, and so on and so on. I think poverty, fear, abuse, mm. violence, uh, you know I was drinking like getting drunk at 9 years old. I was taking, you know, hard drugs by the time I was 12 and 13. I was well out of control way before I joined a rock and roll band. And when I got in a rock and roll band all those things that were, you know, if, if you were doing these things that I was doing at 16, you know, your, your parents would have you locked up, you know. I was out doing it on stage and people were going, yeah, Jimmy, go crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah. So, so the more the more out of it I got, the wilder I got, the more out of control I got, the more people liked me. And it sort of reinforced, you know, this this thing in myself because I didn't like myself and I didn't realize that until, until recently. I, d- I didn't like myself. My only sense of self-worth was, was, was measured on what other people thought of me. So if, I, if people liked me out there, if somebody liked you and wanted to sleep with you, that was great. If somebody said you were great, then you felt good for a minute. But it was, but it was not, only fleeting. It was yeah. only fleeting. It didn't last. 
It's it's not lasting. Now, so this no. is why it's super important to read the first working class boy, then back that straight up with working class man, because I guess by the end of this, we're starting to see the light. We're starting to see the glimmer of, of the uh, new oh, man. Absolutely. And and listen, it was always in there, but it was slowly being strangled. It was like having been wrapped in weeds. It was slowly being strangled and, 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 and muffled. I'm the person that I've always been... Only I'm stripping away all the issues that, that have held me back, and it doesn't mean that I'm going to be going out and becoming a superhero or coming out and be and making you know bigger and better things. It means that I'm I'm finding peace and I'm finding happiness, and I think that's going to affect the way I am as a father, the way I am as a husband, the way I am as a friend, the way I am as a singer, and the way I am as a songwriter. So I think the best is yet to come. Well, this is unbelievable. Honestly, yeah, I'm to hear so this, inspired by this. Yeah, yeah. And to think we can meet you as well, which is just amazing, because I know that people would love to do that. The trouble is you want to sit down and talk for two hours with Jimmy. That's the only problem. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm, I'm fond of a chat. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, Jimmy Wait, that, Barnes. That, Jimmy, who knew? Just... Now, hang on. Just who knew? You were going to provide us with all this great music, all these great stories, and then Behind the maybe scenes. a way to unlock some stuff that a lot of people have been held, hanging on to. Well, a lot of pe- a lot of people have helped me along the way, so you know it's only it's about passing it on, I guess. <laughs> and you're certainly doing that. And Jimmy, yeah. so you've done two. You've done working class boy, working class man. Surely there must be working class hero. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got a few more things. I've got a few more things to write. Uh, you know, I want to write about some serious stuff, I, and I want to write I want to write some fiction too because yeah. I've got some I've got some wild. Stories. Well, we oh. love the kids, but I can't too. really tell. So, <laughs> it's, it's fiction. <laughs> oh, oh, you know what? Keep your sense of humor. Good oh, point. Yeah, ab- wow. absolutely. Oh, that Jimmy is, You know, as you say, Jim, like just listening then, you've really blown me away behind the scenes. Mm. Like I looked at you, and you go, "You, you've got the world at your feet." That's what, and probably yep. all of your fans did, Jimmy. Yeah. yeah, and I did have it. I yeah. just, I just, I was, I was kept undermining. I kept ripping the, the carpet out from underneath myself. Yeah, and there's something else. You know, there's, there's another side. There's it's, another side. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, and, and the th- nothing's the, ever as it seems. Nothing <laughs> is ever as it seems. And the evening of stories and songs as well. So you've got your book, but that too. Yep. That's Civic, yeah. Civic Theatre, Newcastle. That's uh, Friday, April 6th next year. Yeah, I'm looking Tickets forward to it. Tickets from Ticketek. Jimmy Barnes, thank you for all the gifts you keep giving us, my yeah. friend. Thanks, guys. Look forward to seeing you. Thank Good you. Yeah, Mr. James Barnes, you can get him this afternoon. Book Bazaar, your minor, and buy his book too, Working Class Man. Story on the front page of Telly today, where university education is a waste of time and money that will lead the majority of students to gain a useless degree and a huge debt. Now, that's the controversial claim of the TAFE boss, John Black, who has declared war on his territory rivals, saying that the kids who go to uni, they'll end up with massive, masses, massive, massive debts, won't be doing the degree they're doing. And he said, uh, why is it that every Uber driver I speak to has a communications business or law degree? And quite interesting. It's not, I know I did my trade. Dad made me do my prayer. Oh, I didn't make me, but um, he was very religious, so he wanted me to become a carpenter, just like Jesus. And I did it. And, you know, I thought, oh, no, I always wanted to do this. So I went and did this. But you speak to so many people who've done their university degrees who actually aren't doing the degree that they study for. And then if you saw on the news last night where some tradies up to 90 bucks to $100 an hour. We've got Chris from Greenpoint. G'day, Chris. G'day, mate. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad, mate. What, what? Uh, you know, you got kids. You got, uh, I've got kids as well. What are you sort of? Do you think they better do university or trade or what, buddy? I think it's, a, I think it's a horses for courses sort of scenario. I think half the problem with university a lot of the time. So I've, I've got, yeah, I've got two trades. Um, 
uh, both within the automotive industry, um, and I've worked within that, and I get very well paid now as a as a professional. Um, uh, but it's taken me 15 years to get here, um, uh, so I'm kind of paid on experience and skill, I guess. But then there's the other argument to say that a lot of the problem with university students is that they're coming straight out of school into a degree that they think they want to do. Mm. Um, and what 19-year-old kid, for the most part of the time, you, you mentioned a communications degree, yeah. what 19-year-old kid really wants to work in the communications sort of field um, or even understands what it is? And, and, and it changes, the industry changes so fast that by the time they finish their degree, they likely don't want to do it anyway. Yeah, it's like, um, my, like my mate, he uh, used to love law and order, so he became a lawyer. Uh, and seriously, he did one yeah. year as an articles clerk and said, geez, I hate this. This is nothing what yeah. I expected. And he's now selling real estate. He's going really well. But that's the thing. And as you say, at 19, do you really know what you want to do for the rest of your life? Yeah, that's right. And I think for me, like, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, about to do a university degree, but it's it's sort of uh, anchored in something that as a nearly 32-year-old man, I'm aware of what I want to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I'm making that decision to get into a field that requires me to have a degree to do it. Um, so, you know, it's anchoring on that experience that I've got so far to make that decision. I think that's half the problem. Yeah, and I think when you're a bit older, I know when I was 17, 18 doing my apprenticeship, you know, because you have to do a TAFE block every year for four years, and there were guys in there that were 27, and they were really, <clears throat> really conscious of what they were doing. You know, we used to muck around, um, you know, surprising, but they, because they were 27, <laughs> they knew, hey, <laughs> they, they knew this is what we wanted to do, and they just excelled. It was unbelievable, but they were doing their first or second year apprenticeship at 27, 28 years of age, and they were remarkable at it. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've got a friend of mine who, who I know um, now, who I, I did tape with when I was uh, 17, and he was, yeah, he was about 27, 28 at the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, uh, he just did, he did phenomenally well in it because he, know, he knew at that time that he wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm probably one of those cases that as an apprentice, I, I did want to do what I was doing. Um, yeah. But um, uh, but a lot of the guys that I, I did it with either dropped out sort of during their apprenticeship, late in their apprenticeship, or kind of immediately after it. So there's not that much difference. The claim to say that university students don't use their degree, yeah. there's, there's probably as many... Uh, qualified tradesmen who don't use their trade. Exactly. Look at me, uh, master craftsman. That's what I tell my wife. I can't, yeah. can't hammer a nail in. <laughs> but I claim it. Like, like lightning, mate. Never struck the same place twice. That's exactly right, Chris. All right, mate. Thanks for your calls, buddy. Cheers, right, mate. mate. See you, mate. Bye. We've got Mark. Mark, what are your thoughts? University versus trade. You've got two boys. What um, what way do you sort of sway them to? Well, I've got one one that started in a trade and one that started in uni, but the eldest that started in uni wanted to do physiotherapy, but yeah. um, the uh, ATAR was like um, two under medicine, yeah, so we yeah, couldn't get into high. that path straight away, and everyone now seems to want to do physio, like a few years ago you were saying everyone wanted to do law, so he's actually, after two years, uh, started labouring for the youngest one's boss, and uh, he's now doing carpentry, so... Uh, but he, he, he wants to now probably possibly go into the fire brigade if he can, um, you know, the, get into that. But, um, the thing is, uh, the, the wages for them, uh, the, the, the discrepancy in the wages, um, carpentry, uh, then you start to look at what electricians get paid. Um, some electricians and plumbers are getting nearly double what some carpenters are. Oh, is that, and, uh, I saw last night it was some carpenters, plumbers, uh, sorry, electricians, pl- uh, plumbers, 100 bucks an hour in some states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good chippies are on 60, uh, 45, 60 an hour, and 
there just doesn't seem to be any regulation in it. And, uh, you know, like, he... he, he um, he was doing sports science to go across into physiotherapy, but after two years just went, nah, I've had enough of this. So, you know, and then I've got a mate's son who's just doing his HSC. He wants to be a civil engineer, but he wants to do his trade first, so he understands the work site and building. Yeah, and then, good idea. Um, go into it. So, you know, it's um, horses for courses, but no one probably planes a piece of a block of cheese like you do, Paddy. <laughs> or, you know, you probably get there and get the plane out to take a slither off the cheese. <laughs> Master craftsman. That's, that's what it is, mate. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Thank you so oh, much, mate. Bye. Bye. Yeah, it's quite interesting, the comments are made by TAFE boss John Black and he said university education is a waste of time and money that will lead the majority of students to gain a useless degree and a huge debt. But then as Chris uh, was saying as well, he just said, like there are people who like me, I've done my apprenticeship but aren't practising and, and a lot of people are doing the same. We've got Tomo oh, from Tummy. G'day mate. G'day Paddy, how are you? Yeah good, what do you think mate? Well look, I've got a number of degrees and they're pretty useless, they just sit on the wall. Um <laughs> Don't do much more than that, but um, just say, oh, look, I think a degree or a degree or a trade is the key into going into the you know adulthood or being becoming an adult. So art degrees, things like that, it's what you make of them. It's, it's how you treat them, not not the fact that you go into them and then you become tart or disillusioned. I've recently I recently went back to uni and did a law degree, um, and I'm now doing that, and I've changed career a couple of times now. So. To say that they're, they're, you know, they're useless or things along those lines or you don't use them, well, it's up to you because at the end of the day, you use the skills that you've got. Yeah, that is so true. And, and, and the thing is, too, we do change, we, and some people change course. Like my mate who uh, mucked around at school, he's now a dentist. He thought about 25 years of age, he said, oh, listen, I better knuckle down and do something now. And he went and did um, d- dentistry and now is doing extremely well in in that in that field but at school he just mucked around and that's what happens you do have a lot of kids who at 16 17 they do muck around but it's not until they get to 25 going hey i've, I've got to do something really serious here and you are a bit more that's mature right. as well and i can understand you mate doing dentistry i mean there's no degree in, in execution or pain thrilling or you know so yeah dentistry probably is right up his alley uh, next move politician all right mate thanks domo Don't worry, Paddy. See you later. See you, buddy. You've been listening to the Sarah and Paddy podcast. Catch them live weekdays from 5 on 107.7 to Geo.